This program made possible by grants from Nemo Health, Speakeasy, TrackNet, and DocShop Pro. In just a moment, the program will begin. Okay, here we are, John, for episode number four. Believe it or not, we've already done three, and these seem to be flying by. And it's July already. I don't know how, how the heck that happened. Um, but we have a special guest. We got a couple things to talk about, um, and all things podiatry. So here we are, Essential Adaptations, the voice of podiatry. Um, before we, you introduce our, our guest, which is going to be Mike Crosby, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about some conversations I've had with uh, fellow colleagues that were talking about the PPE cost and what they have to do in their offices. And some were saying, well, dentists are, are charging their patients uh, an extra surcharge. So-and-so is charging an extra surcharge. Maybe I should do that too in my office. And I realize PPE is expensive, but we know that doing that, they need to take in consideration something about the inherent costs of each CPC. John, you want you want to address that a little bit? Well, I, I think it's quite obviously that built into many E um, and M codes and other CPT codes is the cost of goods that are necessary to provide care. So yeah, there are codes nine nine zero seven zero for supplies and whatnot, but. I think you have to be really careful in trying to build carriers for those codes. And let's not forget also that CMS provided everybody with a nice big fat check from the HHS uh, a month or two ago uh, that was also supposed to supplement those costs. So I don't know of anybody, Jeff, that has been reimbursed by any carrier for things like gloves and masks. Uh, I just don't know of anybody, and I, I'm not optimistic that those are reimbursable, and I'm not sure I would bill them. There was, a, a, I think it's the optometrists were trying to lobby Congress to pass a bill to allow yeah. to be reimbursed. Uh, I wouldn't hold my breath on it, and it's just part of doing business and other costs that our colleagues have to absorb. So uh, if yeah. you're going to think about doing that in your office, I would say think very heavily on what you're doing there, because there could be some uh, billing rules and some other stuff uh, going on there. Uh, just to, uh, where is it? Okay, so just to uh, talk about some email we got, John, because we got some positive email in our last episodes. Um, so here's what a couple of people said. Lots of email that said uh, they were interested in Speakeasy, the voice command system we talked about when we interviewed Vince uh, Butachi. Uh, uh, about uh, combining voice and technology together instead of pointing and clicking. We might have to do a whole episode on that because it's become so popular. I get a lot of calls on what were you talking about? How does that work kind of thing? So that is just an incredible piece of uh, software that we'll talk about in another episode. Another one said, John, you look really tan. So people <laughs> should know that you spend a lot of time out walking in the morning when it's pitch black. So I don't know where this tan is coming from. <laughs> Um, another one said, keep up the good work, learned a lot about chart requests, which was our last episode. 
And the last one said, for a lawyer, uh, Vince was great. I don't know what that means, but okay. Yeah, that's a curveball. That's what that is. <laughs> yeah. So let's, um, let's talk a little bit about uh, our next guest. Um, I know you know our next guest very well. I also have known uh, Mike for quite some time. You want to give us a little background on him? Yeah, I think many people know Mike Crosby. Uh, Mike has been in the podiatry world for uh, a long time as a MBA, CPA, helped a lot of our colleagues through things like mergers and acquisitions and practice valuations. And I've had the privilege of working with Mike many times uh, through the Academy of Practice Management and other venues where we spoke together. So I'm real excited to, to interview Mike today. Yeah, and I want to warn everybody, Mike uh, has a heavy, heavy French accent. So you'll see what I mean <laughs> when we get him. All right, so let's bring him in right now. There he is. So we see you now, Mike. Uh, welcome to Essential Adaptations, uh, the Voice of Podiatry live streaming video podcast. Uh, don't be intimidated by us because we're going we're gonna to make, uh, make your life easy here. Uh, and we're glad to have you here. Well, bonjour, buddy. Uh, well, thanks a lot for having me on today. I really do appreciate it. <laughs> good, good. I always, I, if you remember when we first met and when I used to introduce you in the academy, I used to warn people when I introduced you, yeah, he's got a heavy French accent. <laughs> That's Southern drawl. <laughs> yeah, so. That's Southern Mike, France, okay? How, uh, Southern France. <laughs> How's everything going there in Tennessee, Mike? You know, it's a it's a good day to be in Tennessee. Things are going well. Uh, the state continues to back up from the quarantine. Uh, we've had our our share of setbacks, but uh, all in all, things are going well, and uh, it, it is right. um, it, it's absolutely a, a good good time to be here. Terrific, good. So I've um, I've prepared some questions for you based upon the things that I think our profession would love to ask you. So I'm going to be asking them on, on their behalf. And, you know, I've spent lots of time uh, with you doing projects together and whatnot. Um, so I'd be uh, I'm sure our profession is going to be really interested in hearing the answers to some of these questions. So you ready? I'm ready, John. Excellent. Here's the first one. As a consultant, um, and, and by the way, Mike, uh, Mike is the owner and founder of, of a company known as Provider Resources. Uh, he provides invaluable services uh, to, to the podiatry profession. As a consultant and owner of Provider Resources, you've worked with many of uh, our colleagues. What do you see as just a few of their most common challenges that they all have uh, in common. As a profession, what do you see are the most common challenges that doctors have? Uh, there's, there's two or three, and one of them is, is uh, not stepping outside their scope of what they're really good at. Uh, seeing something that comes down the line that sounds like it's good, but not necessarily uh, something they're comfortable with. The other one is that sometimes they will have a tendency to get busy 
be going really strong and take their eye off the prize of what is their cash flow. And suddenly you end up in a situation where you're not exactly uh, where you thought you would be and you don't know how you got there. Um, and one of the phrases you like to use, a lot of times people don't plan to fail, but they fail to plan. And, and that puts them in a real situation where it creates a challenge as to how am I going to grow my business? And when I get to a point, what am I going to do with it? Mm -hmm. um, and the other one is, is I've been working really hard. I've got a really good practice. I'm five to seven years away from being ready to be done, but I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. And being able to have a plan that for an exit strategy, um, is is really important and those are those are real foundational um to the overall long-term success of somebody and also fundamentally lowering their stress rate level um sure if they know where they're going and how they're going to get out and it it gives them a great deal of comfort that way so if I was a if I was a podiatrist and and one of your clients and you saw me taking my eye off the ball of that prize because I'm entrenched in my practice and I'm just on that treadmill, uh, what what would you recommend me to do? What 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 immediate actions can I take? To me, the first thing to do is is sort of stock where you're at, evaluate what your current situation is and figure out what are the key metrics that you need to know. Um, one of the things I tend to look at a lot is rate of return. So if for every new patient, how many follow-up visits do I get? If it's, you know, if that number starts climbing, does that mean that your new patient volume is low and you could just keep reappointing people? Uh, if it's low, are you reappointing re the right way? Uh, the key is, is, in today's world, we have to figure out how often we'll be able to see somebody. Uh, I think it's something that you've, I mean, you have spoken about before, but that whole metric of how many visits does a patient, does a new patient come with is really important to understand. So you want to know rate of return. You want to know what your revenue per visit is. And it's not a be all end all but you do want to know exactly sort of an idea of, of what you're in a range of. The other one is, is how, what's it taking you to operate your business from a, just an overhead perspective of, you know, what your number one cost is going to be staffing. So if you're wanting to see high volume, but you got to have a whole lot of staff to do it, does it really mean that you're going to be more profitable because of that? Yeah. Or does it mean you're just seeing more, working a lot harder not to make yeah. much more money? So and then I the think other one gets to be sort of a service mix. Yeah. yeah, what you're referencing is is what we talk about all the time that that point of diminishing marginal returns, where you know eventually you might be seeing too many patients, and as a result, your costs go up at a faster rate than your revenue, and your per visit revenue begins to decline. Correct. That's correct. And I mean, and then looking at trends, uh, I like to look at trends and see most of the people I work with, I try to make sure we install uh, just a, a daily, weekly, monthly dashboard that shows appointments, visits, 
new patients, total visits, you know, no shows, cancellations, and you get to the end of the month and for, excuse me, for many of the, the clients I work with and, and, and things, what they're able to do is they can say, okay, I know if my patients are this and my total visits are this, here's what I'm, here's where I'm going to be financially at the end of the month. And it puts them in a really easy way to give them a, you know, sort of a benchmark view of practice. And uh, it, it is important that people keep, keep it simple as much as possible because data collection can wear you out to the point that you don't do anything with the you collect it, but there's so much of it, you don't know what's next. Yeah. And so the, you know, pick four or five things you want to keep up with, keep up with it, know where you're at, know where you want to be. And when you draw that line in the sand, say, this is where I'm at, then you can project as to how you get to where you want to be if you're not there. I think it's fair. Um, it, it's fair to say. I, yeah. Yeah. I, I was going to say that uh, what you just identified those terms that you've used, the benchmarks, what's important. Uh, I would guess that 90% of our colleagues have no clue. If you ask them today, what's your patient value or what, how many new patients did you see? A lot of them are unaware of the importance of that. So, so Jeff, that's because they didn't attend our TrackNet user conference where we covered all of that in depth, right? <laughs> that's true, John. We had a big conference uh, uh, recently, and uh, John did a whole report section, and benchmarks were, were in there. So, yeah. Excellent. So, Mike, here's uh, question Not number two. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was going to say not to ring the shameless plug bell, but I know that the VP, the VP is the VPO report that uh, that's generated out of TrackNet. Um, if I'm working with a client, I'll ask them to pull that for me and, and send it to me. And go well, what are you talking? About? And uh, I go through an explanation because it it does all the hard analytics. It's the interpretation of the analytics that you're looking at. So. Um, and I try to, I like pictures, okay? And when I do things, I like to put it in a, a chart, a graph, or something like that, because uh, as Stuart said a few years ago, every picture tells a story. And so we want to be able to look at it, and you know, with all due respect to physicians, they're used to looking at pictures. And if you can look at a picture, will tell you what you're looking for. Um, so just simple things like that I think are important. So it's, it's important that we get this out right now, and you're talking to two physicians. We know we're idiots. There's no doubt in my mind. Our ability to analyze data is remedial at best. So pictures are a good thing. Agree. I couldn't agree more. I'm a visual person like they you, Mike, well. and to me, the, to me the, uh, the charts and graphs do wonders to really help understand the numbers even better. So let me let me let me ask uh, another question, Jeff. I'm sure you would agree that this question uh, you and I are approached on all the time as we attend conferences and we're booth side with with Nemo Health and all all of the products. There seems to be a fear, Mike, that the days of solo practitioners are going to go away. A solo practitioner is going to be an extinct entity at some point. 
where do you see that? I mean, do you see that as a, a, a fact or fiction? John, I have people opening solo practices right now, and three of them are de novos, and one of them is a is a is an acquisition. Um, there's a place for everybody in the market. You don't have to be in a 10 man group to be successful. If you're in a solo practice, you are the, remember you get up in the morning, you have a staff meeting in the mirror and say to conquer this. And the issue is, is with a solo practice, you have the ability to steer your call to maintain control and to stay focused. And you can, you can control your overhead and keep up with things. And yes, the first couple of years, it's not about the salary. It's about getting established because once you, once you get established and get going, then as a solo doctor, yes, you're going to have a whole lot of ability to make those decisions that make a difference in your world. There is, there's always a trade-off with this, but the day of the solo practitioner is not gone, is not dead. I mean, I've got, I've got um, five or six right now that are in that process. And here's the other piece. We just came out of the quarantine. Right now, the market is somewhat flooded with people who have lost their job because they were a part of a group. And the group says, we're not going to be able to pay you. We're not going to be able to keep you. There's a group of people that had contracts, residents that no longer have jobs or had to find another job because the contract they had got voided. And there are people that just said, look, I've been a part of a group and it's time for me to find something else to do. So what the, and the, the truth matter is many of the people in solo practice during quarantine were able to see a, have a certain amount of patient flow were able to maintain the baseline of their business and not have exorbitant costs that came across. The yeah. Um, Makes sense. So, I mean, it's, it, it is a, you have to be willing to step up to the plate, but there are resources out there to help you get through those storms and you have to be willing to work. But at the same time, the issue is, is solo practice is very attractive. I mean, it's it's very attractive for people. I, I couldn't agree more. And Jeff, I know you so, feel you feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. Very good. So, Mike, through provider resources, um, and in terms of buying and selling uh, practices, podiatry practices, you obviously do a lot of valuations. Um, so. In a crib note type of fashion, can you tell us really how a typical podiatry practice, what the valuation of a typical podiatry practice basically, how is that determined? Okay. So I, I, on my desk right now, I have three different projects where I'm valuing practices, either for somebody to sell them or somebody to buy them or a buy-in or something of that nature. The fundamentals are this, you want tax returns because people will go to a certain length on a tax return, but they won't get too crazy. And the CPA has essentially put their signature on it and said, 
you're giving assurances that these are real numbers. So you want three to five years of tax returns. You want to see what the cash flow is. Businesses are valued based on cash flow. And that cash flow is what's left over at the end of the day. The free cash flow is the over end of the day after a normalized compensation level. So somebody says, look, my, my overhead's 35%. And you're sitting there scratching your head till you figure out that they got their wife or their spouse, husband, whoever, somebody else working in the practice, a family member, child working in the practice, and they're not on the payroll and it's all coming to the owner. Well, their overhead looks really good, okay? Or, and they own the building, but they don't pay rent. They just take it all in compensation and do it that way. Mm -hmm. Well, so you have to go and sort of decipher what all that means, but you're looking for what the real cash flow is. And those multiples then in the three, five times range, sometimes six, uh, of what that cash flow number is for the, for the practice. Um, but what we do is we look at, the cash flow, we look at the accounts receivable as a component of it, and then, and it's the realizable cat of accounts receivable. It's how much am I going to collect out of AR? You may build seven million dollars in but if you don't collect a million of it, then we're not going to show that you've got some big receivables sitting out there. And then the other is the hard assets. One thing on hard assets, it used to be that hard assets were $20,000 on a good day. But most podiatry practices today are having a much more significant investment between digital x-ray, their EMR systems, laser. Uh, any other ancillary. And then if you throw a laser, a laser in there, uh, those hard assets start climbing pretty quick. Yeah. So this is not your father's and grandfather's podiatry practice. Um, yeah. When I first started this business with dip tanks and other <laughs> things like that, you know, if you got $20,000 in hard assets, you were doing good. Uh, so, yeah. uh, that's very good. So those I'm, are the I'm components. Gonna... And then we also look at, go ahead. I'll, one, one last thing. We look at volume and we look at mid just to see, you know, how that comes together. Indeed. Yeah. And I'll, I'll add one other important point about valuations because I encounter this quite a bit, Mike, as you know, um, if you're, if you're thinking of buying or selling a podiatry practice, don't attempt to do this on just a handshake. Don't attempt to do this on just, uh, somebody's gut feeling of what their practice is worth. You absolutely should have a professional valuation uh, performed. Don't do this alone. So next question, Mike. You mentioned before uh, we're in the midst of this COVID pandemic. Um, so what specific recommendations are you giving your clients right now uh, to deal with with this post COVID world? Are there any uh, tips that you can provide? Uh, fundamentally is this, make sure your patients know that you're available. Okay. I mean, I have a client that this, that was opening back up, but decided, didn't make a conscious effort to really reach out to his patient base to tell them that, Hey, we're going to be open. We're going to employ safety precautions and we'll take care of you, but please, you know, 
please feel free to come to your appointment. Secondly is making sure you take care of the patient thoroughly when they get there. Okay, Ms. Smith's coming in and maybe she's coming in for uh, corns, calluses, or her foot hurts for undefined reason. Let, let me say this. I think the number one thing that we need to be today is a comprehensive visit for the patient that shows that's in our office because many patients are still concerned about going to the doctor. It's such a good job of telling people that it's dangerous for you to be in a medical setting, even in the offices, that they're still concerned about it. When they get there, we need to be sure, one, we comfort them, and two, we thoroughly perform our services and do that. Now, it will change some of your dynamic, but if you reduced your volume and you have the, and you've built that time in, don't see Ms. Smith take five minutes and then you got 40 minutes before your next visit. Make sure you review Ms. thoroughly because it will be the best thing you do to take care of your patient and not have another episode with that. The other one is, is make sure that during this time, if you haven't, you've still got time to work thoroughly your ODAR. Make sure that if there's any cash sitting out there that you haven't collected, that you take advantage of this ramping back up and that you're working your AR properly. And don't forget this. Right now, all the literature indicates it's a 12 to 18, maybe even 24 months for us to work through the backlog of patients that have occurred during the quarantine. This is not my number. This is this is this is from other references I have that is printed material that, you know, 12 to 18 month flow through. So you missed a 60 to 70, maybe even 90 day window of time seeing patients at a volume, moderate it and come back, but no, they're not going to go away. You communicate with and you're going to be pushed to get your schedule under control so that you get everybody in in this period of time between office visits and procedures and follow-ups and things of that nature. Great. So, I, couldn't, I couldn't agree more. Those are, those are some things. So one last question, Mike, so, and this is actually that, a two-part question. Sure. Um, if I was a podiatrist coming out of my residency right now, what single tip, single, what single tip would you give to me if I was coming out of my residency? And part B of that is if I was a podiatrist getting ready to retire. Two individual single tips. Um, the first one. This will apply to both. The first one is, is for a resident coming out. If you know where you want to be, and there's a reason for you wanting to be somewhere, don't just take a job that gets you a job. It's hard. It's going to be difficult to be disciplined that way. Staying focused on, I mean, it won't do you to get somewhere for 15 to 18 months and then go, oh, and by the way, I'm going to move because it's going to end up costing you a lot to move, to restart. And so 
residents aren't coming out with, you know, a big income in revenue. Uh, if you don't have a job, there's always the start. There's always the opportunity to hustle and make money doing part-time work with people. Uh, there's, there's needs sitting out there because of what the demand is for the person that says during retirement, be careful that you don't accelerate it and penalize yourself in your total plan. Um, I've gotten more calls than I want to mention about people saying, well, I was going to retire in the future, but I don't know if I want, I was going to work another two years, but I don't know if I want to pull it back out after it. And I'm like, you're panicking. Let's talk through this. It's not that I want to work with you, but let's talk about what you can do because the issue is, is that you're not prepared and you're going to do something. And the next thing you know, you're going to look 30 days down the road and go, why did I do that? Because I'm not prepared. So don't panic. Neither one of them should panic because there's an opportunity sitting out there, but stay focused on what's your, your true goal. Now. And I think that for the resident, the opportunities to buy, be your own boss, uh, are probably greater than they've ever been. And for the guy that's getting ready to retire, um, think about what you really want to do. Maybe this is the time you right size your practice and split back and do the things that you want to do that you're in a position that it can work for you more than you can for it. Fantastic. Very good. Jeff, any, any closing remarks? <laughs> well, uh, excellent advice. And um, I, I think the one thing I wanted to sum this whole thing up was uh, we're in a new world with new situations. Uh, and I never understood why people would buy a practice or come out into a, a practice or sell their practice without professional help. It just makes absolutely no sense that you would not go and seek an expert to help you maximize what you're doing. And that's certainly uh, Mike's experience is telling us that. And uh, everybody that's watching us, I want to uh, reiterate that, that the expert advice that you get and you, what you have to pay for comes back twofold in, in what you do later. So don't cheapen out because selling a practice and buying a practice, one of the biggest and best investments you're going to make and you do need professional help. You do. You get professional help from an accountant, uh, from another doctor, whatever it is, don't cheapen out here. So thank you, Mike. Um, it was good to hear uh, your perspective on where practitioners are, and I'm 100% behind you. Solo practitioners are not going away, and they're, they're definitely here to stay. Um, it, it amazes me how 30 minutes just flew right by. So we appreciate you being on, thank you. Before we go, Mike, can you give everybody uh, your email address in case they want to contact you, please? Sure. My email address is M Crosby. That's M C R O S B Y 518 at gmail.com. Okay. Excellent. And if they and want now to I'll do it in Southern French. <laughs> if they want to go to your website, this is easy to remember because it's actually the name of your business. It's, providerresourcesllc.com, which is really easy. So I just put the name of your business up so people can see it. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. Again, thank you, Mike, for uh, uh, tolerating us. Uh, I think we were pretty easy on Mike, John. 
<laughs> we have to. He's, you know, he's a good old Southern boy. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Thanks. And you will you will receive one of our yeah. special gift packs we're going to send you. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks, Mike. All Take right. Care, I'm, Mike. I'm, I'm pulling Mike out of the shot. Um, excellent, uh, excellent interview. Um, I think Mike did extremely well, uh, considering, uh, all the things that we could have asked him and all the problems we could have caused him. But, uh, he's a really smart guy and provides a lot of resources for podiatry. So people need to remember that. Um, we got a couple things that we got to get over, get through here, John. Uh, one of them is the puzzler. Uh, and the other one is what I've always called the Google podiatry news. So um, let's see. Let's go. Let's go with the puzzler because I always kind of like those. Those are always fun. So last week um, I put up a picture and I asked uh, what the actors in the picture and the name of the movie. And it was a Western. And I did that because everybody had said that our puzzlers were too easy. Not so much this time around. This was a difficult one. I'm putting up the picture now so people can see it. This actually was from a movie, um, and we did get one guy that got it right. Uh, he had won last week, the week before, so he said it was okay if he doesn't win. That, of course, was uh, Dr. Robert. Uh, no, it wasn't Robert. It was um, Charles Perry. So Dr. Charles Perry is our winner. I'm going to double up his, his prize pack. He, he just saw this movie on Turner Classics the week before, so he got lucky there. But I got a new puzzler, and this new puzzler is, is, is kind of lenient, John. Uh, John I, 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 I didn't want to be too hard, but we'll, we'll kind of see uh, if people know this one. So up is a picture. You're, you're going to get a lot of right answers on this one. Jeff. I don't know. It's an age-related thing, but we'll see. So I, I need to know from this picture, the names of the fictional characters that, that are there um, and from what TV show this is from. So that, that may be difficult for some people. I'm going to even make it easier. I'm going to put in a clue right now. Let's see if this comes across. Okay, the clue came across. We couldn't hear it, but it was uh, kind of a theme song. So. Oh, I heard it. <laughs> so, so, Jeff, do they have to get both characters correct or just one or the other? Uh, what do you think, John? We could do either. It might be too easy just to get one. or I, I think you better have both. I think you better have both. Otherwise, I think it's just too easy. All right, so they've got to get both characters uh, on this one, and it's, and it's definitely... Uh, it, 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 uh, it, it's not that hard. So hopefully we'll have some winners. So let's move into uh, podiatry in the news. And uh, uh, this is the section that we talk about people that have made Google News in podiatry for good things. We could talk about the bad ones, but I don't want to go there yet. So two doctors got popped up in uh, podiatry Google News. The first was Dr. Robert Schwartz from Connecticut. And it was a nice little piece about 23 years of experience and house calls and yada, yada. Um, so he's doing something right if he pops right up into Google News for some reason. And the second is kind of some new doctors. It was an announcement from Southwest Vermont Healthcare announced the graduation of two residents in the podiatry resident program, Dr. Cody Anderson and Dr. Kurt uh, Malcames. They got their certificates of completion. And uh, I'll remind everybody, 
uh, watching that if you are mentioned on this section in Podiatry in the News and you email us, and uh, remember to email us at uh, um, our Essentials Adaptation, which is info at uh, essentialadaptations.com. Um, there it is. Um, you tell us you heard us mention you, and we'll send you one of our brilliant, valuable prize packs. So uh, there you have it, John. Not too bad. Fairly easy. Um, and hopefully uh, uh, we'll get some winners on this week's Puzzler. Um, I'm really um, thinking that our next episode may be the best episode yet because we're going to talk about uh, getting home on time in your office and how to do that and how to use technology to your advantage. Um, and uh, once they see what we're talking about, I, I think there's going to be a backload of people uh, trying to cl climb along, uh, along that bandwagon. Um, and I'll add to that, Jeff. It's not only about getting home on time, but it's also staying out of trouble with the government. Two fundamental things that I think people will be very interested in. Absolutely. Absolutely. There's no doubt. So I'll remind everybody our next episode is always the first and third Wednesday, and that will be fall on July 15th, a Wednesday tax day. So it's a good day to, to tune in and, and see what's happening. We're always at 8 p.m. on the Wednesdays. Um, and I think that wraps us up. Another great show, John. Thanks, Jeff. You too. Have a great night. Excellent. Thank you.